Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I am John Negroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, and I write books sometimes. Will Ashton is off this week, but we have a wonderful guest filling in. She is a film and TV critic with bylines at the LA Times, a playlist, and many more. Welcome back to Cinemaholics, Kimber Myers. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here, as always. It's always good to have you on the show. We always love picking your brain about the weirdest and best movies. And this week is going to be no exception. <laughs> We're going to be talking about one of the weirdest movies to come out all year. And that is Yesterday. Now, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics on adamtickets.com, as well as our full archive on cinemaholics.com. Write into the show anytime. Send us an email whenever you want. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our show, there are two ways to do it, as always. The easiest is to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review of the show. And you can also become a patron of Cinemaholics by going to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And if you do so now, you'll get early access to our latest episode of Extra Milestone. So Extra Milestone is our series where every month we talk about a film anniversary. We all get together, we watch a film that is celebrating some sort of milestone, and we like to pick films that uh, are amazing because they can be an extra milestone. And this month, that was Alien, which just celebrated its uh, 40th anniversary. That was a wonderful conversation. It was uh, myself, Will Ashton, Sam Noland, and Julia Tatey. Wonderful group of people. Cameron Myers, when was the last time you saw Alien? Oh, um, it was a few years ago. I need to revisit it, though, this year. I think it is clearly time. It's always good for a, a rewatch. Yeah, it's like an, a weird year to do that because there's no Alien movies coming out. I, I remember we were all kind of rewatching them when Alien Covenant came out a few years back. And well, it's it's uh, it's time to celebrate Alien once again, I suppose. But if, if you're going to watch any Alien movie, I guess that's the one to do it. Now, we do have some bad news. Uh, we were going to talk about Annabelle Comes Home on the show this week. No excuses. I I missed my I missed two screenings of this movie. Uh, that very unfortunate. I I have been very busy. And Kimber, you've been watching a lot of other films that I think you're excited to talk about. But no, no, Annabelle comes home. Were, were you not excited about this one? Um, that's a franchise that I, I really like. I've seen all the other films, um, but I'm not in a huge hurry. We'll right. say. <laughs> I'm I'm going to get to it. It's ha- it's going to happen. Yeah. It's just a tough week. And I, I was not as good of a cinema hall because you did watch two other films this week. I want to hear all about them right now. Kimber, you saw a film that everyone has been talking about. And I have heard reactions that range across the emotional spectrum for Ariaster's follow-up to Hereditary, his new film, Midsummer. I think that's how you pronounce it, correct? Or Midsummer, I guess you could just say it. Yeah, you'd think after sitting through two hours and 20 minutes of it, I would be more aware of how I should be saying the title. Yeah, but yeah, yeah Midsommar, yeah. Uh, Something slight, like, like Swedish bit on that. Yeah. So I did see that. Yes. Okay. So obviously, you're not going to give anything away. You're not going to tell us what happens in the end. No. But what can you give us like a, a brief elevator pitch for this movie? Because whether or not you liked it, I mean, did you like it? I guess we should start with that. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was was great. I can't wait to see it again, which is, um, even though I loved Hereditary and thought it was um, an incredible piece of filmmaking, I never want to see that again. Um, <laughs> but this uh, is, is I would definitely say again. Um, and I think it's, in fact, even better. That's that's fantastic. So so what is the sort of pitch for this movie? How How would you convince somebody who's never even heard of it? 
you got to go watch this two and a half hour culty horror <laughs> flick. <laughs> yeah. So Florence Pugh stars as Danny, a young woman who is uh, reeling from some really serious, terrible events in her life and is uh, grieving, which is becoming Ari Aster's uh, hallmark in these, these two films. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she tags along with her boyfriend and his friends to a small commune um, in rural Sweden um, for their famous Midsummer Festival. Um, and it begins beautifully and will certainly not kill your desire to to travel to Sweden. It's really lovely looking. Um, okay. but <laughs> that was a concern of mine. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. It's because Sweden's been at the top of my my travel list for a while. And I was like, please do not ruin this for me. And it didn't. Um, but yeah, things uh, go downhill. There, there's some some pagan rituals that that get a little little weird. <laughs> okay. I, well, I like this so far. I like the idea of like weird horror outdoors. Those all sound good to me. But I, I think everything I know about this movie is removed from any trailers. I've tried to not watch any of them, and oh, I, nice. everything I know about this film is from gifs and <laughs> screenshots. <laughs> and I'm already I'm I'm interested just by those. Yeah, it is, I, I think, really beautiful. It's interesting that you have this horror movie that is uh, set during the daytime, almost mm-hmm. entirely just because of the um, the lack of night in or dark at Sweden uh, during the summer. And so it's a really interesting contrast to what you normally have with a horror movie, but it's just really beautifully shot. The costumes are incredible. There's um, great detail in the sets on this uh weirdo commune um it's i i was just really impressed and while it is definitely brutally violent uh, <laughs> um if if you saw uh, hereditary this is more of that and it definitely shows i think it's interesting that aster has um some specific ways that he he likes for people to to go out um, yeah. so I won't say any more there, but it is, it is rough. And like, if you have issues with violence, um, or particularly brutal gore, um, this is not for you. And I think the tough thing with this too, is it has kind of the same thing as hereditary. It's not like, Oh, you know, when to look away. Like, yes, there are moments where you will know when to look away. Mm-hmm. Um, but Aster likes to really insert flashes of violence and kind of how like even just talking about it those moments are resurfacing for me they also resurface during the film so you cannot avoid them Uh, (laughs) but it's also it's a lot of fun um which sounds weird to say after all of that it probably does not reflect well on me as a person Uh, but (laughs) it's a blast well you're not the only one saying that yeah that, that makes me feel better i apparently all of us are terrible people um but the film is really fun um i think it plays with some interesting ideas um in terms of tourism and anthropology and bad boyfriends and it's um but i think while it's dealing with all of those things i think it's also a bit more cohesive uh throughout than hereditary is and i really liked hereditary but this um i think is um a great step up for ari aster and uh, the cast is really great in addition to florence Pugh, it's uh jack rayner from sing street and william jackson harper the Good Place, and Will Poulter, um, who is really, really funny. Um, I didn't even know he was in this. Yeah, he was. He's, he's great, too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, highly, if you can stomach it, 
which I don't think everybody can or should. Um, but if you can stomach it, it is just super fun and so gorgeous. And Florence Pugh is amazing. Yeah, I I liked Didn't Love Hereditary. And it, I'm ju- it's just now dawning on me that not the last time you were on the show, but uh, you actually hosted an episode of this show last year yes. to talk about Hereditary. <laughs> and it just dawned on me that that's the case. So uh, this is a nice little full circle moment. Yeah, I I definitely am excited to see this. I feel like if I can handle Suspiria, you know, I'm oh, not yeah. I'm not quite as worried about the horror aspects of this. I am just worried that my expectations will be too high, so I am I am managing them as much as possible. But I just I've seen so many reaction to this reactions to this movie that are so different from what I expected. Like I'm seeing people being like, Midsommar cleared my acne. Uh, I was able to do my taxes after this. Uh, It put me in such a good mood. And I'm not expecting that. I want it. I love folky things. And I want this movie to ruin folk music and folk aesthetics for me for a while. I think that would be a great great experience. Uh, So that's Midsommar. Is it one of your favorite films of the year? Yes, it is. Uh I, I loved it. All right. And I know there's another film that has come out recently that I saw the trailer for this one not not a long time ago. I mean, it was like a couple, maybe a few months ago, I saw a trailer for Wild Rose. And I knew as soon as I saw this trailer, I had to watch it as soon as possible. Sadly, <laughs> this movie has not come to the Bay Area. I have my fan alert set up. I'm checking my apps every day, trying to <laughs> just waiting for the day Wild Rose comes to the Bay. But you have seen it, Kimber, so I really want to know. I, I don't even know that much about it beyond just a, cu- a few little details about who made it. But Wild Rose, I know you're a fan of this movie. Yes, I've uh, I've seen it twice. Um, so oh, I just rubbing it in. I I am a cruel person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw it at a screening a few months ago, and then um, it screened again for Tribeca here in New York, and I saw it again. I I think it is um, such an uplifting, fun, um, emotional film. Like I I thought it was just really, really well made. Um, and it's about a, um, a young woman, young woman in, uh, Glasgow, Scotland, uh, played by, uh, Jesse Buckley, who is in fact Irish, not Scottish, but you would never know it from this. <laughs> um, and she dreams of becoming a country star and, um, there's not really a great country scene in Scotland. No um, kidding. And so she's trying to, right. <laughs> Um, she's trying to deal with that, um, while she was just released from prison. And she's also a single, single mother who doesn't quite know what to do with her children. Um, and it's, I I think a great way of looking at it is if you really like films like Billy Elliot that are about scrappy underdogs who are incredibly talented, trying to make it, um, this will be right up your alley. The music is incredible. I think even if you're not a fan of country music, this isn't, um, this isn't the type of country music that I think, uh, most people will be annoyed by. It's more like she does a lot of covers of artists like Emmylou Harris and, um, I'm trying to remember who else, but it's just the, the country will not bother you even if you don't like country. In fact, it might even convert you. <laughs> yeah. Because I, that's why I'm glad I saw the trailer. Yes. Yeah. Because when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, the, the, you know, because if I had just read the premise, I'd been like country music, European country. What? Okay. But no, the trailer actually <laughs> sucks you into this this style. It's good. 
Yeah. Um, and I would recommend too, like if you are curious if this is going to be your thing or not, you can either obviously watch the trailer or Jesse Buckley was also on Stephen Colbert in the last couple of weeks. And she sings a song from the film um, that is stunning. <laughs> um, and I, I think we'll kind of bring over anyone who has any, any doubts. Her voice is really incredible too, which I think is part of it. Like the film itself is, um, is I think quite well directed by Tom Harper and uh, nicely scripted and generally well acted, but Jesse Buckley, who was previously in uh, beast and is on Chernobyl this summer is just an absolute star. Like she, she makes this film work and is so magnetic and both in her, acting performance as well as in the singing it is um it's just really impressive i want everybody to see it it is so uplifting and fun and just rocking you'll be like stomping your feet and and fist pumping um so apologies to the people sitting next to you behind you because you're gonna but they're gonna be doing it too that i was gonna say bad influence but that's probably the case yeah All right. So Wild Rose, uh, I am absolutely ready to see this one. It's been one of my most anticipated. (laughs) And yeah, Kimber, I'm living vicariously through you, as always. But (laughs) yeah. All right. Well, before we get into our featured review of yesterday, we do have sort of a a topic we want to address that was asked in the comments of this past week's episode. So last week, we talked about Toy Story 4. We, we got some great comments, um, some great stuff about the film. Uh, we had one person ask why, because our big question of last week was, what, what are your favorite movies of the year so far? And somebody commented, why no hate for the worst movies of the year so far? <laughs> and I was just going to say to that, I, I, I don't think that's as fun. I, I don't know. I don't like to think that much about the films I didn't like. I'd much rather talk about the ones that I think some people haven't seen yet. But uh, I, I, not in the sense that I get mad at people for talking about their worst movies of the year. Like, I don't think it's, I don't know. Wait, do, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, like, it's one thing to give a, a negative review of a movie that's deserving of it. But to call out the worst movies of the year is um, is not always a, a great <laughs> exercise. I mean, I think... It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And like in many cases, like, I mean, I see a lot of small movies that are bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. So as, as part of the, the work that I do for the LA times, a lot of what I see is small and not good. And those are not fun movies to, to tear down. Um, they're, they're clearly in general, it looks like there's a lot of effort put into them. Um, and they mean well in most cases, um, yeah. but very, very rarely is it like, this is the worst movie of the year. That said the hustle's terrible, but Everything else, fine. No. The Hostel? Uh, the Hustle. Um, the Hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't yeah, like that, that one. That was a uh, hit. I that movie made it. That Did made it? a good amount of money. Yeah, it made oh, a, over $70 million off of 20. Jeez. More than tripled its budget. People. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And in, in a summer when... <laughs> In a summer when like Booksmart and Late Night just crumbled, and then some of the other studio comedies, like isn't it romantic? It made some money. I don't think it was a flop, but that was way better. <laughs> so the other ones, though, I, I yeah, the uh, What Men Want and Little, like those ones didn't really take catch on. But yeah, Hustle for some weird reason, people showed up for that movie. Jeez, oh, people, there, there's so many better movies out there. <laughs> See, my thing is. I'm- I'm done. <laughs> I don't I don't like to talk about like oh, I just hate this film or whatever, but I do like to talk about the films that are bad that I got something out of <laughs> that mm. that I'm like, "Hey, you know, I watched this film, but it was bad, but I thought it was interesting." Like one movie I I would think of is like Relive, 
the uh, the Shuatel Edgio for film, which is just <laughs> this weird time travel movie that has just some really bonkers stuff going on in it. And I that that's something that I feel like I'd have more fun talking about because it's like I'm not going to recommend people go see it, but I am going to talk about how even bad films can have things in them that are worthwhile. But uh, regardless, uh, we did get a question we want to address here. This is from Eleanor R. And I couldn't tell if Eleanor R was supposed to be Eleanor Roosevelt or Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> and I, that's just Beatles on my brain at the moment. But so this commenter wants to know, what do you think about The Office leaving Netflix? I know it's not a cinema topic, but I'm starting to wonder what I should do about all these streaming services splintering off into their own pricey packages. I'm starting to wonder if I should instead invest my money in physical media, but when are DVDs and Blu-rays obsolete? Great question. Yes, so we we just got the news this past week. The Office will be leaving Netflix, I think, by the end of next year, I want to say. They're they're losing the rights to it. It's going to be on NBC's new streaming service they're doing because everyone has a streaming service. And I, I don't know about you, Kimber. Yeah, this is a cinema topic because all these streaming services do have movies and we talk about movies on the show and a lot of TV shows can be sort of classified as movies at times, depending <laughs> if they're miniseries and whatnot. But it, it is an interesting question. It, it's sort of like, okay, we're running back into the, the cable problem, the thing we were trying to avoid when we all <laughs> cut cable, right? I don't know if you cut cable actually, but yeah. So, so Kimber, I want to know before we answer the question, streaming services, how many do you have? Do you, do you want to disclose this? Um, I will disclose this. Um, I will also say that because of, of what I do, I can um, kind of take it all off on my taxes. Um, I don't know Same if I should here. actually say that, but yeah, no, I think <laughs> that it's, it's totally valid. So um, I, this is also where I admit that I spend way too much money on this. So I have not cut the cord yet partially for uh, a few remaining sports and a couple of things that aren't available through services like sling. Right, right. Um, but <laughs> um, I have Netflix, Hulu, Amazon prime uh, criterion collection, um, as well as part of my cable package, all of the uh, premium networks. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. no, um, they came to my door, like somebody was selling new cable packages. And they're like, how much do you pay? And I said, and she's like, you pay more than everybody else in this building. I was like, that sounds right. So yeah. I, I feel like we have unique, situ- we have unique <laughs> situations, because we all we yeah. have to watch so many things. For because work. like, otherwise, yeah, otherwise, I wouldn't be spending so much money on, on streaming services. But yes, so I have all of the ones you just mentioned. <laughs> And <laughs> I, actually, I actually, I don't, I don't pay for cable. I, I actually, I use okay. whenever I need to see something on like FX streaming or something like that. Uh, I use my parents. I, I just, <laughs> just use their password. They're cool with it. Uh, but it's all reciprocal because they use like my Netflix and my yeah. Hulu and all that stuff and my HBO. But yeah, so I have everything you just mentioned, but I also have Crunchyroll because I've been addicted to anime since I was 10. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then I, I, I've also been using Pluto TV, which you don't have to pay for, but it's like you can actually like watch movies on there. And uh-huh. uh, that that's useful as well. Th- those are the main ones. I, I don't have too many beyond that. I think I, oh, I, think I forgot I might, about Shudder. Oh yeah, Shudder. <laughs> We both saw, for some reason, we both thought of Shudder at the exact same time. That is my other one. Yeah. Shudder is just, that. that's one I, I will never be able to lose. It's too good. And then oh, I- Oh, it's so good. I will be getting Disney Plus and I'm going to get A24 <laughs> public access. I, I just, they, 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 I'm a sucker for these people. Yeah. But okay, the question at hand, uh, should we be investing our money in physical media? And I, I struggle with this question a lot because 
I, I kind of have that same feeling where I feel like the DVDs and Blu-rays I have are going to be go the way of the VHS. And I don't know what to do about that. And I know a lot of people are kind of w- weirded out by the idea of like owning your stuff through either Amazon or iTunes. Where where do you stand, Kimber? Do, do you think it's still worthwhile to to go ahead and get that physical media? Do you think we'll always have access to DVDs and Blu-rays? So I I come down on, on kind of both sides of the issue. I I think from both a space perspective, especially as somebody who lives in New York, um, although in Queens, so I have a little bit more space than uh, my neighbor Manhattanites. Um, I think from a space perspective, as well as from a consumption perspective in terms of the production, um, I've cut way back on actual physical media, um, especially also, let's be honest, it's much easier, even if it's something that I own, to stream it than to go over and get the DVD or Blu-ray and put it in the player and put batteries in the remote, um, all of that. Um, but I would say that like with the things that I really love, I make sure to, and know that I'll want to rewatch for a while. I would just buy films that I loved and I still have movies that I have never watched the copy that I own, um, which is not something to be proud of. Um, but for things that I really love, I've bought. Um, so like I have Paddington 2 on Blu-ray. I also have it DVR'd. And then um, I may have also bought the digital copy like that. I'm like, I will not um, take any chances. Um, but I think it's tough because you never know which of these, if your favorite movie will be available at any point. Um, there are yeah. definitely films that are not available on all of those services. Like, I mean, you and I both have far too many <laughs> streaming services. Fair to say. There are still films that aren't available to watch um, at any given point if you want to stream them rather than uh, rent them or purchase them. And you also have issues with, um, and I know that that's because of the rights of the various streaming platforms and how that works, um, both competitively as well as just how a film's rights might exist, period, electronically. Um, but then you also have the problem of if you purchase it on a particular system and um, what if uh, that – I know that there's been some stuff with like Apple – removing those purchases in the past for people on some select titles, which is a disaster. Um, but yeah, I think the the tough thing is I think that there are no safe ways to ensure that you have access to every movie because at least like I think Blu-ray and DVD are the safest for this moment, but obviously like they're, they're going to be obsolete at one point. So um, yeah, this is a cheery conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I well, I ran into this issue very recently because I wanted to rewatch Aladdin, the, the animated version. Oh, and you yeah. can, not only can you not stream it anywhere, you can't even buy from Disney the Blu-ray oh. or the DVD because they, it's in the Disney Vault, and yeah. that is just to me like it's so antithesis to this this age of streaming we're in, where I expect, <laughs> you know, I yeah. I expect that if I'm willing to rent, you know, if I'm willing to do that sort of thing. I should be able to just, you know, get what that 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 uh be able to just purchase that if I pay the right amount of money. But no, they they withhold it. <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering if if Disney Plus is going to change some of that. But yeah, I mean, you can't really find a VHS player very easily these days. Yeah. And so that makes me wonder like how is that going to how is that going to work later? And then also, yeah, you you can get Aladdin right now on Blu-ray. You have to buy all three films and it's like 30 bucks. And I'm just like thirty dollars, thirty one seventy nine. 
to <laughs> to get this Blu-ray delivered to your house. So on the one hand, I kind of like the idea, like, okay, if it's your favorite movie ever, you, you can't afford to lose it. You, you need a, a physical copy of it just in case. I, I get that. Like, I would pay the extra money for my favorite films ever just to have them, just to be able to say, like, if I need them for something or if I'm going on a trip and I'm, I won't have internet, I will have these movies because these are the movies that mean the most to me. That's kind of where I'm, like, at with physical media. I think that it's way too expensive to do anything that we're talking about, really. But yeah. even more expensive to do what we're talking about and get the physical media side of it as well. But I think for a lot of people, physical media is fine for the time being. And if it becomes obsolete later, that yeah. might be a risk you're willing to take. Yeah. And I think it's probably still a ways off. You'll still at least be able to like get a DVD player at uh, a thrift shop for a yeah, while. And hopefully someone will be able to repair it. Uh, yeah. for you if it breaks uh, in between they're doing reviews of Star Wars films or something like that. Very weird reference I just made to Red Letter Media, but <laughs> I guess that's our cue to move on. Um, so not the most cheeriest of topics, but uh, hopefully hopefully that'll give some people some ideas and, and hopefully get them thinking about this because if, yeah, if you, if you really care about your digital or physical library of media, it, it's always great to, of course, go to the library because we always recommend doing that, seeing what titles are available there, requesting things. That's always a service you should tap into if you can't find the titles that are streaming or if you can't find it online to purchase. So um, other than that, we did get some comments uh, about our Toy Story piece. Uh, I do want to read one of them here. This is from Dave Vickers. And Dave said, the Toy Story movies mean the world to me because they mean the world to my kids. My daughter just turned 12, so she was able to see Toy Story 3 right when it was feasible for her to sit in a theater. Watching Toy Story 4 with her and my son, five years old, was a purely joyful experience I can't get with most other movies. My son was too young for How to Train Your Dragon 3 from earlier this year. My daughter thought Ugly Dolls, Secret Life of Pets 2, and Lego Movie 2 all looked too kiddy for her. I'm so appreciative of how Pixar allows for all three of us to get to the theater without worry for what we'll see. I know it'll be entertaining enough for them, but also thoughtful enough for me. So that was Dave commenting on our Toy Story 4 discussion. We all really liked it, uh, as we talked about on the show last week. Uh, but, you know, Kimber, he, raising an interesting point here, I, I think that it, it, it's safe to say How to Train Your Dragon 3 and Lego Movie 2 and Secret Life of Pets 2 and Ugly Dolls, all of these animated films, most of them sequels, didn't didn't really do super well at the box office like most films going on right now. So 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 what do you think about that? I think Toy Story 4 is also underperforming to a degree. Uh, what, what do you think about the current state of animated movies? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Animated films are particularly tough. I mean, I think that they've been for a while such a dependable source of revenue for for the studios, especially these franchise ones where they really, um, they are able to predict pretty well how a film is going to do um, just based on past performance. But it is super expensive to take kids to yeah. the theater. I mean, even if you go to um, an early showing, um, it is, I mean, that's just a lot of money, especially with multiple kids. So I wonder if that's part of it. I wonder if just the increasing amount of content available for kids at home is also kind of uh, eating into that. And then um, I, I think too, it might be a combination of that and it's Toy Story 4. <laughs> <laughs> it's a safe bet. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a safe bet, but I think too, like 
Toy Story three in this in this case wrapped up the what we thought wrapped up the the franchise pretty well, um, and then Toy Story four might have seemed unnes- seemed unnecessary. Um, although after having seen it, I, I think it was a really lovely way to um, to add a new story to that that series. Um, so that may be part of it too, that it is just fatigue of all of these sequels. But I think it's tough because then you have all of these original films that right. don't perform well. I mean, no one saw Missing Link, um, which is unfortunate. It was cute. Um, yeah, so I think that that's kind of the the dual challenge there. And I think it's just part of the, the larger um, question of how people are going to the movies and how that's changing. Um, I, I don't know if it's just specific to animated films not doing as well, um, but you also have things like Men in Black International underperforming. Um, but then you also have Avengers Endgame killing yeah. it and John Wick <laughs> Chapter 3 doing better than its predecessor. So I, I think part of it is um, a question of making films that are interesting and original and will bring people to to the theater because that's the thing like men in black international um is was not particularly well received on top of not really being what people were asking for at this point so absolutely i i think you're you're spot on and you know last week we talked about toy story 4's box office being a little a little low but i did i did say that this is the kind of summer movie that i think is going to do super well throughout the week and it has (laughs) so have you seen how much this film has made worldwide so far? I have not seen the latest numbers. And I'm that like nerd um, who I didn't look through the week, but I know too, like box office comes out around like 1145 noon Eastern time on Sundays. So like, we're about to find out that's, that's when we're recording. So John, you're cutting into my obsessive time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, we actually don't know <laughs> as of Saturday yet. So it's going yeah. to be way more than this. But as of Friday, this film has made $319.6 million, 60% of that domestic, which is incredible. That's crazy. Absolutely incredible. You don't this, see that ratio much anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Because it had a wide release internationally. But yeah, the, the domestic box office is not as high as Finding Dory was. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is, it had the biggest opening weekend ever for a rated G film. That's not something a lot of people noticed, <laughs> myself included. But because it's also one of the whitest films ever released as a G-rated film in the modern day, uh, the fifth biggest opening weekend ever in June, not just of this year, in June, and in less than two weeks, actually, yeah, like just a week and a couple of days, this film is the twelfth highest-grossing film in the last year since last <laughs> summer. Since last summer, twelfth. Think of how many films, how many blockbusters have come out since last June, and this film is already number 12. Uh, that is just unbelievable for any film, Toy Story included. So it, it it's not a film I'm worried about personally, financially. Uh, I don't think we need to be yeah. knocking on Disney's door being like, hey, you guys need some help? <laughs> need some marketing? Um, no, I think, th- think they're going to be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for uh, the comments this week. Thank you, as always. If you want us to talk about anything that's on your mind from the world of cinema and beyond, please go to cinemahawks.com, find our most recent episode, and join the conversation. A lot of great comments last week. I wish we had more time to delve into them. Uh, Mostly things about uh, Toy Story 4, which that is a movie that begs a lot of conversation. But here is a movie that begs so much conversation. And I have a feeling, Kimber, that we may have to do a spoiler warning at some point in this review. We'll start off, of course, just talking about the film. But 
we have the unique advantage of only having one major review, so we can take advantage of that and leave the rest of the episode for spoilers. If we decide it's necessary, maybe not. Maybe maybe we'll get to the end of our, our surface level thoughts and be like, that'll do it. But let's see what happens. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Now it seems as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday Go on Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know, she wouldn't say I said something wrong Now I long for yesterday What the hell was that? Yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? The Beatles. The what? John, Paul, George and Ringo, The Beatles. Yesterday. Uh, Yesterday is the new film directed by Danny Boyle, who's known, of course, for the train spotting movies, Slumdog Millionaire, 127 Hours, Steve Jobs. Now he's collaborating with Richard Curtis. He's gone from Aaron Sorkin to Richard Curtis, which is quite a jump. Um, (laughs) Richard Curtis does a screenplay. So it it is a meshing of two very different creative people. Curtis is the the guy who wrote Four Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones' Diary, Love Actually. And Yesterday is what you would expect from a combination of these two filmmakers, a very high concept premise, sort of mashed together with the trappings of a very British romantic comedy. The setup, I think, is this film's strongest case for existence. I think it's the sort of pitch that will entice so many people unexpectedly because it's a very original kind of idea of a film. And it, it's something that I I personally have thought of this gimmick of like, oh, I wonder if what would it be like if if this could happen in my life? Uh, if you've wanted a shortcut to fame in some way or some sort of creative catharsis for yourself. So in this movie, our main character is Jack Malik played by Mahimesh Patel from EastEnders. I've never seen EastEnders, but I've heard he's terrific in that show or was terrific. I don't think he still is playing his character because that, that's a show that's been on forever, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've never gotten into it, but I have a feeling it, it's one to get into. Yeah, it's like their soap opera, I guess. But yeah, yeah so Jack Malik, he is a, a failed singer-songwriter. I can relate. His music just doesn't connect with people. And when we meet him, the difference, of course, Kimber, between me and him is like, he's at least trying. I, I've just sort of accepted I was a failed singer-songwriter when I was in my teens. But um, yeah, so when we meet him, he he is at the end of his long and winding road as a musician. He decides to give it all up because he knows he'll never have that high level of talent beyond playing music in a coffee shop, playing pubs. He has like three friends who just, they're the only ones who really support him. And it's its wonderful to see, but he, of course, it's not enough for him. He wants the fame. He wants the fortune. The only person who really seems to believe in him, who wants to, to push him to keep trying, is his best friend, slash childhood friend, slash manager, slash groupie, slash would-be lover, Ellie, 
played by Lily James, and as fate would have it, a mysterious worldwide blackout occurs, and Jack is struck by a bus and later wakes up in a world where the Beatles never existed. He still exists, his friends and family, they're all the same, all their memories of everything else are the same, but no one remembers that the Beatles were a band, they don't remember John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, inextricably. They, they may still exist in this world, but his Beatle records, they've all vanished. He searches the internet, but can't find any trace of their existence. And along the, one of the, my favorite gags of this film is like the other things that have disappeared arbitrarily <laughs> as he, as he sort of discovers uh, along the way. It's a, it's a fantastic running joke, but yes, it isn't long before Jack sees this Beatles erasure as an opportunity to start piecing the songs back together and then start performing them as his own work. And though no one seems to care about the songs out of context at first, mainly because they're indifferent to Jack himself, the music is good enough to slowly rise his star power to a level where the songs are appreciated for what they are, and by Ed Sheeran, no less. And Jack has <laughs> to navigate the ethics of doing this entire scam, and he also has to reckon with how his newfound songwriting talent is alienating him from the person who actually loves him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I had to do that. Kimber Myers. Yesterday is such a silly movie in so many ways. It has a lot of crazy, wacky ideas swimming around in its crazy, dumb little head. All of this beloved Beatles music is in it. I have to know, though, when you saw the trailer for this, you first heard about this concept, how did that shape your expectations? What were you thinking you were going to get? And then what did you get with this movie? Um, I might have rolled my eyes a bit, <laughs> which oh, is that I know. Um, Complete opposite of me. But... um yeah i wasn't like super excited except for the fact that it was danny boyle who i love as well as richard curtis um two people whose work that i just really enjoy and have a lot of affection for um i also like i mean and this is not a great thing to admit as well like i do really enjoy the beatles but they're not like my favorite band of all time i didn't grow up listening to them all right well that will do it for this week (laughs) on cinemaholics uh (laughs) Yeah, I didn't grow, they like the Beatles um, weren't really played in my house for a variety of reasons. My uh, parents are super religious and apparently John Lennon saying he was bigger than Jesus didn't go over very well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, certainly enjoy um, their music that I came to as an adult, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But that's the story for another day. Um, but yeah, so I wasn't like super excited um, about the premise, but also did appreciate the fact that it's kind of a weird premise for a studio movie, like more creative than kind of the standard uh, rom-com and even the standard comedy. There's a lot more going on here than you'd get in um, an average film. So like the hustle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, I was uh, kind of mixed going in and um, I'd say mixed going out. I had a very good time. Um, which is, I, I think what it intends to do. And I like texted my parents after and said, you should see this movie. You'll, you'll really enjoy it. And I think they, they will. Your Beatles hating parents. They've, they've since come around. Uh, okay, okay. Um, they good were job. far stricter when I was, when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, no, I think like, I think now they can, they can handle it. So <laughs> I see some parallels between our upbringings because I mean, my parents were pretty religious. They weren't, specifically anti-Beatles, they were very anti-secular music in general. So all, all the music yes. I had to seek out was uh, was on my own. But 
Yeah, I, I was I was the biggest fan of the Beatles because I, I kind of discovered them on my own without anybody kind of coming to me and being like, this is the best band ever. I, I would hear their stuff yeah. on the radio and I came into them that way. I, I had this this game called Beatles Rock Band when I was just finishing up uh, high school. And at that point, I liked the Beatles a lot. Uh, I liked maybe yeah. seven or eight songs, like the really big ones. And then I got Beatles uh-huh. Rock Band, which was this fantastic video game that I have to talk about because in Beatles Rock Band, <laughs> you could play a ton of Beatles songs, probably about a little over a hundred, which not bad. Oh. I mean, there's a lot of great Beatles songs. There's never going to be enough. There were so many songs that didn't make the cut in that game. And I bought all of the downloadable content, by the way, all of the extra songs they released. I spent my hard earned <laughs> college money on. But uh, that game was amazing because that was my real introduction to the band, their story, because you literally played through the albums. Like the songs, like you would play a story campaign of like you start with the Beatles when they're, I think the first the first part of the show, you're in like London and or Liverpool actually. And you're just playing like these small, like it's like the please, please me era. You're playing like, do you want to know a secret? And then later in the game, you go to the Ed Sullivan show and that is just a huge turning point. And you play all of those songs like Hard Days Night and Eight Days a Week. And then, then you get to Shea Stadium. I think that's where Eight Days a Night Eight, eight days a week happens and that's when the game just takes off and takes off and then you go into their experimental albums and you're playing the, the music alongside this game you're singing the songs and you can play the drums and that game meant so much to me when i was a, a 19 year old so and so so obviously my my love of the beatles has matured since then i've i've, I've you know i went and i bought the box set and i've been listening to this 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 music for a long time so i went in as a, a deep deeply deeply skeptical fan of this music being like okay this this looks like cover band the movie and <laughs> i don't know how i feel about that but i do really like beatles covers do you like i like the rufus Wainwright Ray- covers that he's done of their songs yes always oh, great yeah like help he does help and across the universe in particular which i think is pretty good so i i watched this movie with that context in mind and i I, I, yeah, I agree. I had a nice time with this movie as well. I would go as far to say that I just, I watched this movie and a lot of, a lot happened in it that I was very not on board for. There are so many, <laughs> so many things you can just look at, take out of this movie and be like, this thing is bad. Like, this is just, this is a bad piece of writing. This is a bad subplot. But I just found myself laughing and singing along with this movie anyway. Yeah, it's quite beguiling. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it, it, it's a very charming thing, and I know some people r- are really hating this movie. Um, they're really uh, they're really having problems with with all of the logic behind it. But what, what, let's let, let's address probably the biggest piece of cri- criticism I've seen for this movie so far, and that's the idea that its its premise isn't good enough, and its romantic comedy isn't good enough. Neither thing is good enough, <laughs> and they don't really go together well. That, that's the thing I've heard the most. And that makes sense to me then why I think some audiences are really going to love it because they're going to watch this movie on its own terms. They're they're probably not going to overthink it and it's not going to distract them, right? They're just going to be able to enjoy the good stuff, not notice the bad stuff. Do do you kind of agree with that criticism though? Like where do you stand on that idea of like the premise not really being up to snuff and the comedy just sort of being shallow? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the premise the premise actually is what I found more shallow. Like, I think it's an intriguing idea, but I don't think they thought it through as as much as it could have been, or at least it doesn't engage with it as deeply as I might have wanted. But I realized that that also might have taken the fun out of it for a number of others. Um, but yeah, that was my, my main beef with the film. Um, I have a few others, is that it just doesn't 
really dig deeply enough into its central premise um, in terms of either explaining what's going on or also um, exploring the larger implications of any, not just the Beatles being gone, but the other things that it, um, that are gone from this universe. Um, I, I wish that we would have gotten more there. Yeah, there's like no consequences for major, major things just being missing. Yeah. But, but that didn't, for some weird reason, that didn't bother me. Like, I didn't care. Like, I, I didn't really care yeah. that the movie wasn't interested in being a science fiction sort of thing. Yeah. And, and I don't know. And I think some people do care. They're, they're interested in that sort of thing. And I'm I'm as overthinking as they come. And for some <laughs> weird reason, and you know what I think it might partly be? And I wonder what you might think about this. Because let's talk about the performances here. I think that I really think that Lily James is kind of just channeling Keira Knightley here. And and <laughs> I don't hate the performance, but I, I just do think the writing feels like 90s in a way. There was nothing about this character totally. that I thought was very endearing beyond like she's she's cute and she says you know she's very supportive and all this stuff but she just never felt like a human being to me she always felt like just in in a, like weirdly adoring this person who is not good enough for her um and i think i hope a lot of people would agree with that but the performance that did really sell me here is himesh patel i just i found what he's doing here to just be strikingly unlikable but in a way that I wanted to see what was going to happen next for him. And he became more likable as the movie went. He starts as just a very deeply, just a bit of a, not a jerk, but just like so off in his own little world and not really caring about the people around him, just being just a very, very strange person. Like his reactions to things he can't say, he can't express himself. And as the movie goes though, I really came around on him. And I think it's because this performance is really good. Uh, but do you think, do you agree? I mean, I don't think everybody's liking the performance here. Yeah, I, I liked it. And I thought it worked within the framework of the film that he does get more compelling as a lead as it goes along. Because I think that that's part of the kind of gag is that he's performing these amazing songs. And yet it's still taking a while for <laughs> people to kind of uh, buy into him as a, a musician. Um, so I think that that's part of it that he did certainly lack that charisma but even that charisma was lacked in kind of a way that i i found um engaging and yeah i agree on, on lily james i don't think she's particularly wonderful here and i like her usually um same here. i was also annoyed as like a curly haired person that they like try, try to turn this great beauty um into someone that they are pos positioning as as a plain Jane, and they're like, "Oh, we'll right. just give her frizzy hair." I'm like, "Well, thanks." Uh, but like, we'll just put her in PJs that are adorable. Like, they can't. Little <laughs> James is wearing a onesie, and they they think yeah. it's going to make us think that oh, that's why Jack isn't just in love with her. They don't really justify it very thoroughly. I yeah, think. that that to me, I think like yeah, his like ignoring of her as a romantic prospect doesn't they don't go deeply into it enough and they are kind of self-aware of it though because there are several characters who point it out they're like wait dude yeah wait, what <laughs> and i'm just like is this is this like the 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 person who's like cleaning up richard curtis's script being like hey hey this doesn't make sense help <laughs> we need somebody yeah. not just anybody <laughs> Um, yeah, like that to me didn't even the the efforts to to kind of plant those seeds didn't really ring all that true. But 
Um, I don't think it's a, a fatal flaw in the film. Unlike, and I this pains me to say, oh, Kate McKinnon for me, I, I think is is in an entirely different movie. And I love Kate McKinnon, um, but here I just I think both the way that she was written as well as the performance um, does not work for the film. I, I I could take or leave that performance. I I think it it got a few laughs for me, but yeah. It, it 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 does feel a little strange. It feels a little like, yeah, exactly what you said. Like It's a different movie. It's a different sort of absurdist humor that she's sort of injecting into a film that it not it's not grounded or anything, but it, it's a film that has comedy that is like, you can tell that Kate McKinnon is ad-libbing in a Richard Curtis script, which is what you don't want. Yes. <laughs> the, the saving grace is I think that she's not in enough of a movie that I think it, it takes away a ton from everything. Yeah. I think- what ended up happening is I just didn't like those scenes and those are scenes that I shouldn't be liking what's going on. Like I don't want him to be a sellout or I don't want him to be plagiarizing and doing all of this stuff. So when those scenes I just sort of associated with him going down the bad path. And what I like (laughs) is that this movie doesn't go down so many tropey things. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. go down the whole and you know, let's actually, I don't want to get into that because I, I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to spoil like the middle yeah. end. So let, let's just say, let's just say what our final, final grades are. And then we'll put up the spoiler warning. I'm just going to put this out there. I loved the dumb movie. I, I just think it's very lovable. I think that there is a big segment of people who are very knowledgeable about film, who I respect very deeply, who are going to absolutely be infuriated by this movie. And I feel, I feel very bad. I wish that they... I wish that the movie was better for their sake because I think it's really messing with people's <laughs> sanity and that that bothers me. But I think the vast majority of people are going to watch this film, probably not going to love it for the rest of their lives. It's not a must-see, but it is a film that I think is going to strike a chord with general audiences in a way that a lot of original musical sort of films just don't really do. And I think for a movie with a lot of Beatles music in it, they I think that a lot of the music is good. It, there are good covers in here. And I was listening to the soundtrack and then kind of confirmed that. I think with the exception of maybe one or two things, they, there's a lot of inventiveness in the way that they sort of make the music their own and do it in a believable way to the point where Jack gets some parts of it wrong. Like he doesn't remember all the songs perfectly, but that's kind of a funny little treatise on covers themselves uh, when it's very easy to misinterpret art. And we'll talk more about the themes probably in the spoilers. Cause I think there's a lot of interesting discussion to be had there. Like what is this movie really saying about art and restoring lost art and the ethics and all of that stuff. We'll get to it when we can actually talk about plot details specifically, but I give, I give the Beatles fantasy, dumb, lovable movie, a B just a straight down the middle kind of film uh, of being a good film. Uh, what about you, Kimber? Um, I'm going to be such a killjoy. I probably have C plus, and I feel like that's that's better than most. Generous people. for how it's for how yeah for how it's actually made. I will say it does remind me of um, another Lily James film, Mamma Mia. Here we go again, which was oh yeah, that was an I, a, I think that that was <laughs> <laughs> I think that that was so perhaps more purely enjoyable while not being a good film. And this, I think kind of walks that same line of like, not well-made in a number of ways, but still, I think just really pleasant for better and worse. Um, So many pull quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Really pleasant. I had a fine time. (laughs) Compares (laughs) to Mamma Mia (laughs) 2. This year's Mamma Mia, here we go again. (laughs) That's going to be on the DVD. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't see uh, them Universal reaching out to me for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I would be shocked, but not totally shocked. Yeah, you never know. All right, so those are our grades. If you do not want to be spoiled on yesterday, if you have not seen the film and you don't want to know what happens, we are about to talk about more specific things. We'll probably mention the ending. We'll probably mention some of the larger implications of the middle and third act. So you will want to stop listening at this point. And don't worry, I don't think there's nothing else at the end of this episode except for what we're watching next week. So that will that will do it for the spoiler-free conversation. Kimber, here here here's where I sort of... Here, here, here's something I liked about the movie. Here's something that I wasn't expecting, because a lot of these like typical biopics, like this isn't a biopic, but in in movies that are about musicians becoming famous, you always get that sort of like I'm famous now. I'm going to sleep with everything that moves. I'm going to do lots of drugs. I'm going to just descend into madness. And this movie doesn't really do that. It's it doesn't have that same edge, which might be a criticism for some that it doesn't have a, an edge at all. It it doesn't have a lot of sex. It doesn't have a lot of drugs and, and rock and roll. It really is just Himesh Patel sort of floundering through a situation that he's not prepared for, and the that's where this movie kind of won me over. Where I think it lost a lot of other people is in the middle section. It suddenly is about him and Ellie. And all of a sudden, Jack and Ellie have to sort of resolve their feelings. And I both like and hate what goes on with Ellie here in the sense that she's sort of like, leave all the fame and fortune I've been asking you to seek this entire time to live a quiet, humble life with me, which we could definitely dissect how strange that is. And it's a big reason why I think this character doesn't totally work for me in every way. But what, what was your takeaway from this part of the movie where it just completely dives into romantic comedy or romantic drama, actually, territory? Yeah, I mean, I I always want Richard Curtis to go that way. Um, so theoretically, I should have been happy. But I, I agree. I think she was quite underwritten. Um, in terms of she really is not other than like a few small moments, she's really not a person apart from Jack, um, and her relationship to him, which I think is, is really unfortunate. Um, and, but it also kind of contributes to the whole thing of him not really noticing her in that way. Um, yeah, I, I wanted more from that whole subplot or plot depending on how you're viewing the film yeah because it makes you there's a way to do this ultimatum like there's a way because because i see what the script is going for it's this idea that jack she loves jack because it's not that he is the best singer songwriter like she wants him to be successful but there is just this sort of you know she sees him as like on her level of like life of being somebody in her life who is like as humble as her i guess like and he's he is Mm -hmm. kind of a humble dude for the most part he just sort of goes down this path though where he becomes like super famous and i do kind of understand that anxiety there's a way to do this right where she sees that he's she perceives him as changing into somebody who's too good for her which has never been the case she's always seen herself as maybe too good for him but she loves him anyway um she she likes a fixer-upper i guess and there is a way to tell that story because that's human. Yeah. Like it's not ideal, but there's a way to reckon with that. And I don't think the film totally does it. So it's not very successful as a romantic comedy. And that, that does bum me out because otherwise this could be a little bit higher up, but I think people will watch it and they'll just sort of get sucked into, Oh, she loves him, but he, he, who does he love her back in it? And they get caught up in that, which is fun, but it's not a lot of fun to really think about. Yeah. It's I, I think, 
certainly one of the the weaker parts of the film, which is unfortunate, especially given its provenance in Richard Curtis. So, so we talked a lot about this premise. We talked about like the film having having some some strange implications that don't get really explored. So, so you see it as a. F- it sounded like you kind of get like okay if if we had really dove into like the domino effect, the butterfly effect of a world where the Beatles yeah. don't exist. Oasis doesn't exist, which is a great joke. I I was laughing I so hard. Really Nobody else was laughing, by the way. You and me were the only people in these two theaters then, because I was. I, I think there was like one other person in my theater who thought that the Oasis joke was funny, and it was. Yeah. It was perhaps a little bit of an older crowd, but it was still like, oh, this is great. Why aren't you thinking <laughs> that this is the best part of this movie? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, people were laughing a lot in this movie, and I think because it is a funny movie. There's funny jokes in it. So I don't know where I was going with that, actually, because now I'm just caught up in the Oasis thing. But yes, okay, the implications. They, they don't really dive into what does a world without Coca-Cola look like? Would Pepsi really exist? <laughs> and uh, all, all kinds of these strange things, like if there aren't cigarettes. Uh, and I'm torn on this, because on the one hand, I do kind of wish we had gotten something, like yeah. maybe making this world feel different from ours. It just sort of feels like a world where Ed Sheeran is seen as Mozart kind of worries me. <laughs> I feel like that's that should be a very different thing. <laughs> Not that I have anything negative to say about Ed Sheeran, but uh, I think I like I like a few of his songs. But where, where do you stand on that? Like, do do you think do do you think the movie should have tried harder? And, and how so? I would have liked a little bit more detail there. I do understand that it's already almost two hours long, and that that's not really its focus or what it cares about. Um, especially, but and while I enjoyed the like. Not only the ripples of there's no oasis and um, breaking this girl's heart, I'm sure there's also no Travis. But um, yeah, like, I don't know if it actually helped them to mention that there's no Coke and there are no cigarettes. And like that to me kind of derailed the film a bit for me. And I, I think that I was reading too much into it. But it was like, if there are no cigarettes, then what does that mean for like this? the history of American economy yeah. and like what about all of the like states economies that were built on tobacco and like, bleh, just like it took me out of it. And also like, so the other thing that's revealed is that, um, is that the uh, Lily James character has been in love with Jack since he sang, um, Wonder Wall at yeah. like a talent show. So did that happen? Was it another song? Like, was that, was that disgust and I missed it? Like I, that even kind of bothered me in the world of this film. Like that should have been, what did he actually sing at that point? Like did, if he didn't sing that, was she still as in love with him? Like all that stuff. I don't think it goes as deeply into that as, as I would have liked. But again, I also realize it just doesn't also care about that. Yeah. So that's me wanting the film to be something that it's not. That's such an easy problem to solve because you know what, you know what I was expecting for this movie, the way it ended was I was expecting that to be a plot point because they set it up. They set it up that like, oh, Wonderwall didn't happen. So maybe he sang another song. Maybe her memory is just distorted because I think they do have a flashback where he's singing and you don't hear what he's singing. So, But then when the big climactic moment happens and he is about to tell her that he loves her, that's when you sing Wonderwall. And like that's what made her fall in love with him. And that would have been great. But he doesn't doesn't sing Wonderwall. Do they not... I, I that bummed me out so much. I, that's what I was expecting because they set it up. I wouldn't I wouldn't have been upset if they hadn't have set it up. 
but they had to do that. Like, why could they do another song? It just feels like they they changed their minds, maybe. Like, that probably was part of the script in some way, because they cut a lot of things from this movie, including something being performed to Ana de Armas. And, and the James Corden thing, I think, was going to be, like, not a dream sequence. I was very confused when that happened, that the, it just yeah. ends. That, like, oh, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, oh, what? And then everything you see in the trailer is everything we see. So yeah, I, <laughs> I think they had another idea there. I would hope so. I, I really expect better of Danny Boyle. I mean, I think he's had a, a few missteps, certainly. And I, I think I think that A Life Less Ordinary is not as bad as it was genuinely thought of at that point. But his two of his worst films, I think, are, are romantic comedies. So um, maybe enough. he can... Yeah, which like hurts my my heart, but um, yeah, I I wanted more from who. Him here. Who would you have had direct this? Oh God, I mean, in some I I and I think that that might be part of it. I think that Danny Boyle might not have been the best choice for this. Some of the stylistic stuff I thought was distracting. As much as I generally love his directorial style, um, here it just yeah. didn't quite work for me which again like hurts my heart he's one of my favorite directors of all time and um this just didn't didn't do it he he had an idea for how to, to like show something go viral that idea was weird um but I, yeah. i'm trying to think who would have <laughs> who could have directed a script like this and really made it come together i i think that is what's holding this film back the most and not that he fails in every way as a director or anything like that, but no, I, I just, I do think like you, there is a director out there and it's just sad. We'll never see it. Who could have gotten the script and their sensibilities would have been perfect for really bringing this movie to like, this is this, I wanted this to be a big hit, right? Like I want original kind of ideas that are, that are ambitious, risky, flawed in a lot of ways. I want them to be really good because that, that gives me hope for the theatrical experience in some ways. And that's not really this movie. We got that with A Star is Born, which isn't really an original thing. I mean, it's a remake, but th- <laughs> that that blueprint is there of like yeah. your Bohemian Rhapsodies and, and your Star is Born kind of mu- big blaring musical things. This was a chance for that sort of, that sort of big show-stopping movie to still have some sort of presence, but without the story being a remake, you just sort of use the music that we love to, to sort of tell a story like a jukebox musical. And and I think those things have a lot of power. I know Will Ashen is upset. He's not here to talk about this movie because he does not like jukebox musicals. And <laughs> I, I think that, that that was a foregone conclusion of this movie. He'd have some troubles with, but all of that said, I'm, I'm a little sad about this. And I, I, it's not that I think the movie is, I don't think this movie is bad at all. I just think it's a business, big missed opportunity. And I, I think somebody jerked about it on Twitter. I thought it was very funny that maybe there is some sort of like yesterday cut of this film where they do sort of like wrap things up differently. And the Anna de Armas scene, maybe it all just sort of is worse. That's probably the case. Um, and they salvaged it. But uh, if, if that exists, Kimber, would, would you even bother seeing the yesterday cut? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I think I've I've had enough of it. Like it was fine. I also <laughs> okay. I had a I had a good enough time, and I worry that watching again, I would actually like have a worse time and get more bogged down in the stuff that bothered me. So I'm worried about that as well. But I really loved watching this film the first time, I, and my girlfriend really loved it. She she thought it was fantastic. 
and kind of kind of in just like the very like this is just a fun movie to watch and you do have to sort of leave your brain at the door in some ways <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but yeah so i i guess i guess we've explored yesterday to its its fullest extent oh can we quickly though can we talk about the john lennon scene oh for sure yeah i'm surprised we didn't really mention that we didn't really talk about him and we didn't talk about ed sheeran that much but um yeah what what was your takeaway from the john lennon thing i say take it out of the movie you don't need it yeah I, it like, I think it worked for me emotionally. Like it absolutely just devastated me, but I found it manipulative. Well, I found that it didn't fit the story very well. That that was my issue is that if you're going to put something like in there, that's so provocative. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no storytelling purpose. No, I did love Ed Sheeran though. I think it's like (laughs) very self-mocking, which I always appreciate. Um, I think it definitely demonstrates a a sense of um, humor on his part. Um, And I I think it was also a smart move because it does get to feature some of his movies and maybe some of the older audiences that have somehow (laughs) missed Ed Sheeran um, now have exposure to Ed Sheeran. But yeah, I thought that that was really, really good casting. And cause I think it was, they'd originally also thought of Chris Martin. Um, and I think this might've worked even better. Um, and certainly can't hurt too. I mean, if we're going to be completely, um, mercenary about this, I mean, I assume it also didn't hurt to bring in, to bring in a few also younger people who might not be as there for the Beatles, but would yeah. come for Ed Sheeran. So, um, and he was great far better than game of Thrones. <laughs> on the one hand, you do have Ed Sheeran sort of saying, like, unlike Oasis, I don't need the Beatles to be successful. <laughs> right? But on, on the other hand, he is sort of admitting that, like, yeah, without the Beatles, I'm basically as as good as you're going to get. <laughs> so there there is a little bit of a... Uh, it's it's a little bit it's a little nuance. I think that it's a fun little this this is a fun movie to talk about. I think like I I would have yeah, so many long heated conversations about this movie for good and ill, and that that to me is the mark of an interesting film. Maybe not a film everybody will love, but definitely one that I think people should at least see if they want to if they want to re- get really nerdy about some film details that are just fascinating and in some ways maybe a little infuriating. Yeah. No, I think that that there's plenty to discuss here. And um, it is not an unambitious film, which I appreciate when you you get a a big studio film released. I mean, this is a small studio film, but when you get one that's released by Universal and it's based on an original story and um, is pretty weird for a, a big original project, that's that's a good thing. I'm I'm not mad about that. Yeah, and also featuring an a British Indian actor as the lead. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Anisha Ganti, the director of Searching, uh, made this comment on Twitter that I, I thought was very apt, where he he pointed out like we never get to see films like this where it's like a big like event sort of movie where it's like a blockbuster. This I wouldn't say this is really a blockbuster, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's a movie that's yeah. a big wide release where it, it's a romantic comedy. And it stars an an Indian man and a white woman in a relationship or in a romance. And race isn't like the big theme. <laughs> like, I don't think race yeah. is even really mentioned at all in this film. And, and, and it is kind of a cool thing. It's kind of just sort of like a, yeah, because that happens. Like a lot of the time, like that, that's just sort of how it goes. And, and they, don't, they didn't have to go down that route to tell this story, which uh, I, I thought uh, would definitely mean a lot. Uh, to a lot of people watching this film who who've been waiting for something like that because it doesn't happen very often. 
Yeah, I think that that is a very special thing as well. And appreciate too that in its own like very, I mean, it's a super British film, but in its British way, it doesn't really feel the need like this is just a, a normal thing that that happens. And um, it's, it's not going to be a big deal at all. I think also it's important that um, not only does Jack have a British accent rather than an Indian accent, I think it's also interesting and important that his parents also um, are different than the representation of parents, um, Indian parents that we normally see on screen. Um, and which I, I always appreciate. And I thought they were adorable. They were fantastic. <laughs> they, they were so two cute. of my favorite characters. They stole their scenes. Yeah. Uh, the let it be scene is fantastic. The longer winding road <laughs> scene is fantastic for different reasons. Uh, there are entire scenes in here that have none of the problems we've talked about. And that that's sort of Absolutely. like, that's the problem with this movie. I think for people is that, if if you're not sold on it, you can't. It's hard to appreciate those scenes, right? And you you get you just get bogged down by the the stuff that doesn't work quite as well. And that's why the mileage is definitely going to vary. Uh, we we didn't talk much about the ethical implications of this film, which is how <laughs> I wanted to end it. Um, like the whole plagiarism thing and and how he deals with it. I actually I, I actually thought that there was a nice thing to say in in this movie about even if you can get away with it. Like, even if you have every right, like he's basically given a pass by the only two other people who know that he's stealing these songs. And they basically say, Hey, we're, we're glad we we just, we're just happy that the songs exist, that we can still listen to them. They don't seem to mind. They, they've sort of like decided it doesn't bother them. And the movie still is just sort of like, yeah, but he doesn't have to profit off of it. Even if he gets away with it, he gives all the songs out for free. And then he lives out the rest of his existence, kind of like accepting his own limitations and being like, Hey, like I can be a person who is the go between for like restoring this lost art, but you know, I don't have to act like it's mine. Like that, that's just not necessary. Like he never really had to do that. And I, I liked that message of the movie. And I don't, I don't know if everybody else does. Like, I think there is a nice thing here to be said about like, even if you can get away with plagiarism, just, just don't credit, credit the artist, credit the artist and, and provide a link to her Etsy account, rare horror. That's all we're asking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually like that as well. And thought that it fit with, with the film as a whole. I like that gentle, like we're not going to, let him get away with this, but also it is just really this good thing that the Beatles music still exists in the world. Um, and I, I think they say in the film, like I wouldn't want to live in a world where this music was not a part of the fabric of, of our lives. And that I think is, is really, I thought was lovely and sweet. And um, yeah, I, I, I dug that. I did think it was silly though, when he like, they upload all the music for free. I mean, like, there's so much piracy anyway. <laughs> sure, sure. I but appreciated it more as a a gesture and as the right thing to do versus the like tenth of a penny that you get for a stream on Spotify. But yeah, because because it is a it is a fine. tough thing. It's a tough thing to reconcile just because like, well, who gets the money then? He he can't like the people who do exist like they're not claiming credit so what do you do? Do you just donate all the money? And then I think they found a way to sort of weave it in. And it's, I think it's ultimately yeah. a, a harmless result. I just, I know a lot of people are complaining with this movie about how, well, you know, the songs wouldn't really be as successful as they are because it was really about the Beatles, like the Beatles as performers and their persona and the way people fell in love with them. And I, I yeah, of course, like the movie actually points this out. It's like, he's yes, singing, absolutely. he's singing these songs and people don't really care 
and and that's that's the other thing I kind of like. The movie's also about how you can have a lot of talent and you literally you can have the greatest songs of all time, but if you don't have like the haves sort of like lending credibility to your music, it's just hard to get ahead in this world. And it, it I thought it was kind of like a sneaky little like classism sort of thing. It's like Sometimes people are like, oh, if you just work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to be successful. And this movie is kind of about how, no, it's more about being really lucky. And there's probably a lot (laughs) of people. Exactly. Like he just happened, like somebody happened to like hear the music, really just wanted to get with Lily James. (laughs) It's like the implication. (laughs) Like it's, it's, I don't think that guy really like, liked that music all that much. He just was like, oh, his manager is cute. And and then Ed Sheeran happens upon like a cable access local show and yeah, I, I think all that stuff is funny and I think that it's yeah it's a decent message. Yeah, no, I I agree and I think it's um it, it's one that I certainly buy into that like yes, hard work will can get you places, but it is not necessarily going to be the the thing that that gets you there. That there have to be a lot of other factors that are at play to ultimately make someone successful. So. Yes, we we live in a world where so many fantastic musicians never saw the light of day because Ed Sheeran didn't show up at their house, and that is something that bums me out. But Ed Sheeran, work yeah. harder. Find 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 uh, the next Jack Malik, please. Um, yeah, just sit and watch Cable Access there in Suffolk. <laughs> Why was he watching that show anyway? So, <laughs> uh, in my warehouse, uh, that was that was that was pretty fun. Uh, in yeah. my life happens to be my probably my favorite Beatles song. I know we all have our go tos, but that that's like the first Beatles song I ever listened to, and like it just completely wrecked me as a as a kid. And uh, yes, so that that'll do it for our our conversation about yesterday, Kimber. It sounds like uh, this this is a very complicated movie, and I'm I'm glad you were on to talk about it because uh, this this is definitely one that's it's uh, invoking quite a reaction. We'll definitely talk to to Will next week to get his his afterthoughts on this one. And Annabelle comes home. Apologies again that we didn't get to it next week. We are going to talk about Spider Man: Far From Home, and we're also going to have a longer review for Midsummer. Hopefully, get into more detail for that. Once it is available to be seen, uh, I think, because I think it hits wide release this next week. I don't know how many theaters it's going to be in necessarily, but I I think it's going to be nationwide. So hopefully that's the case. I cannot wait to see what the average horror fan thinks of this film. Um, The people who went to go see Mother (laughs) and haven't seen a movie since, who are like, oh, this Darren Aronofsky film. I'm not going to go to the theater for two years. And then they go back and they're like, all right, well, I guess I'll see Midsummer." Yeah. The theaters um, are changing. <laughs> the cinema score is going to be a disaster, but a D for disaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll just see it again just so I can find somebody with their, their surveys and be like, Hey, Oh, I thought you were going to say something else, but <laughs> okay. No, a. Just, yeah. a. That's just all a. I would have That's been it. able to get a cinema score. Not even an A plus. <laughs> You'll settle for an A. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, again, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And uh, if you want to hang out, with, hang out with us on social media, our Facebook and Twitter is in the show notes along with our email and uh, our Patreon as well. We'll see you all next week. And from the Internet California, I am John Agroni. From the Internet New York, I'm Kimber Myers. We'll see you next time. <laughs>